Hello and welcome. If you like today's broadcast, please visit my website at narctroopers.com. That's N-A-R-C-T-R-O-O-P-E-R-S.com. You'll find a wealth of other podcasts, articles on recovery from narcissistic abuse, as well as a video blog. Today's topic is the ties that bind us. Sometimes these ties break us. What is trauma bonding? What is trauma bonding? We're going to take an intimate look at the overwhelmingly difficult task to accept reality and release the narcissist after years of this trauma bonding. So here's my story. And there's a lot to learn from it. We were a mismatched couple from the beginning. A kind of madness overtook me when a scandalously younger and wildly reckless figure entered my life. Everyone thought I was experiencing a midlife crisis and had lost my mind. And in retrospect, that's exactly what happened. I lost my mind. Little did I know I would lose everything else along with it. He was feral for all practical purposes. Raised by wolves, he was always pushing limits and breaking hearts. There was a creepy familiarity about him, the way he would suddenly just show up out of nowhere and stand at a distance watching me, studying me, observing me. I did not know he was sizing up his prey. Instead, I thought there was a compelling connection between um, what was happening between he and I. Uh, Maybe he was a reincarnated family member or someone that I had traveled through centuries with, hand in hand, side by side, timelessly together. One of the first things he ever told me was that his other girlfriends that he had had before had all told him there was something wrong with him, that he was not like regular normal people with regular normal feelings. They said he was emotionless, cold, without feeling or heart. Of course, I dismissed these claims immediately and assured him there was probably nothing wrong. He had just not met the right girl. And what did normal mean anyway? I was certainly an odd duck myself. We talked the talk, intimate talks, for months that turned into almost a year before it finally took that inevitable turn. By that time, everyone was talking about us. It was a bumpy time at the beginning, with mutual manipulations and machinations on both sides, Clearly, we both wanted something from the other. He was a predator narcissist, and I was a lonely empath. You've heard this before, and we all know how it ends. It was a match made in hell. We married in a maelstrom of craziness for all the wrong reasons, in defiance of all logic. Those first years were tumultuous for everyone. I was consumed with my addiction to him, and he was my heroine. I was his ticket 
into a world of culture and education and travel and wealth. I turned my back on my children, my career, my existence, and watched helplessly as the pieces of my life tumbled down and fell into ruin, one by one, piece by piece. He let me play all the different roles, wife, mother, friend, lover, child, counselor, priest, healer, and even more. It was divine insanity. I lost everything that ever mattered to me, closed my eyes, and let go of it all while holding on to his hand and diving into the darkness head first. Even after we were married, there were always the others who left their scent on the wind and distracted him to no end. For him, you know, wild things can never settle and must always roam. And make no mistake, he was a savage in shy boy's clothing. There was the constant curiosity as he gravitated to females who would give him the fuel he constantly lingered for in the form of adoration, attention, and just fawning over him and how wonderful he was. Then there was the constant porn, chat rooms, and girls online. I even stumbled onto a Craigslist Craigslist ad with dick pics and proof of other unsavory encounters. And then, as if all that were not enough, he even voluntarily told me about some of his indiscretions. Not all of them, I'm sure, but enough to throw me into a tailspin of hurt, insecurity, shame, anger, humiliation, and disgust. I would freak out, and he would slurp up all the delicious fuel that it provided him. Then the cycle would begin again. The key to this kind of torture is called intermittent reinforcement. And he was masterful at making the good times so perfectly good that the recurring atrocities would be quickly swept and kept at bay. Months would pass when he was the ideal husband, the perfect partner, a true and constant companion, the source of not only boundless joy, but also the answer to every dream I had ever hoped for. Remember how he studied me and watched me? He knew exactly what I hoped for in my heart of hearts. He knew what I had been waiting for my whole life, and he succeeded in becoming that person, giving me everything I had ever wanted, mirroring me to perfection. Then the bad would come again a confession, a betrayal, something that was so unbelievably disturbing and disgusting that I felt as if my world was turned upside down. And I struggled, struggled fiercely just to hold on to something to get my bearings, but no one was there to help. They had all been carelessly pushed to the side because my complete devotion to him and isolation was required for these maneuvers to work as designed. We were in this dysfunctional dance of covert narcissist and empath addict 
to the death, the two of us, or so I thought. I could never leave, regardless of what he did, regardless of any crime he might commit. I was trauma-bonded to him, and that was my fate. The intermittent reinforcement of bliss and perfection were interspersed with egregious betrayals and cruelty that reprogrammed my brain, my body, and my very soul. This is the power of trauma bonding. And then they leave. When the fuel I provided became stale and diminished, when his misconduct brought consequences that altered the very framework of our lives, and when I became weakened and sick after nearly 15 years of this wild roller coaster trip from hell, he decided that it was time to exit and find younger, more satisfying fuel, which has, had always been near, easily available, and plentiful for such a charming, sweet, and beautiful man. This fuel came in the form of gratuitous attention, adoration, and uh, all those, all the focus on him that he required. He loved it when people would be infatuated with him. He loved it when girls would look at him, look at him with stars in their eyes. He would just, he lived for that. He called it curiosity. He said, I'm just, I'm just wanting to learn things. What he wanted was for them to want him. That's what he wanted. And finally, I guess the time came where what I had to give and what they had to offer, well, it was a no-brainer. The the shiny, glittery part was off of our relationship. Fifteen years, even the most industrious and creative couple have trouble keeping the the life in their marriage after that many years. So he went for new fuel and that's all part of the narcissistic cycle of abuse. The departure is called the discard. He had idealized me, then devalued me, and finally discarded me. And what could I do to survive in the aftermath of such life-changing destruction? It was an extinction-level event. For me, apocalyptic even. I didn't believe that I could be saved. After attending numerous support groups, therapy, and even medical intervention, I came to realize the severity of the trauma bond. During the six months or so that followed, one of the members of my recovery group committed suicide. My therapist said that not everybody makes it to the other side and to be open to aggressive interventions like prescription drugs, ketamine therapy, and even inpatient treatment. This was nothing to minimize or discount this trauma bonding. It was formidable. It was looming largely in front of me like a monster that could not be defeated. We're talking about a fight for my life to actually stay 
as a part of the living. Friends and family stepped back and disappeared. They said, you're on fire, and if we stand too close to you, we'll catch on fire and burn with you. So I was alone. No friends, no family. So I did all I knew how to do. I studied, and I read, and I consumed everything I could about narcissistic personality disorder, trauma bonding, and recovery. I listened to every podcast, um, examined every scientific and psychological study and article. I tried to educate myself about how I could live through something like this. I spent time with healers and shamans, made myself a regular at church recovery groups, forged new alliances with others who were fighting the same fight. I got acupuncture, sacral cranial massage, cord cutting, trauma bond ceremonies, cleansed my chakras, and when that wasn't enough, I found a Christian prayer partner and mentor. Now it's been almost nine months since the discard, and I'm living among the wreckage, surrounded by a life that no longer exists. Every day is a battle for my life as I am tasked to reimagine it. And reimagine I must, because I can't recover what I never had. I can't reclaim an identity that never existed. I was damaged before he destroyed me. And now I fear I will always be bound to him by this trauma. All narcissists are not the same. A person with a low-range narcissistic personality disorder has little cognitive awareness regarding what they do. But the mid-range narcissist has enough cognitive function to know that there is something wrong with them, but beyond that, they don't understand why they are compelled to do what they do. In the ideation stage, they may actually believe that they have met their soulmate, the one that's going to save them and meet all of their needs. They may think that it's love, but it's not. They may not know why they enter the devaluation stage and start unraveling and picking apart at their partner. And they may convince themselves that their partner has indeed failed them and is the bad guy in the script when the only thing that they may be guilty of is loving them too much. By the time of the discard, the blame shifting and projection have created the illusion that they have to go since the other person is so terrible. They make themselves believe that that's reality. They live a fantastical life filled with illusions and delusions and repression and, and all these different kinds of things that make their world not real, not reality. Nowhere close to it. The high-range person with narcissistic personality disorder is actually aware of all of their machinations in the cycle and functions more deliberatively like a sociopath or psychopath. My husband was a mid-ranger, a lot of times playing the pity card, 
trying to get people's pity for being the victim when in fact he was never victimized in any way. Always playing the persecutor in real life, but in their world they believe that they are the victim. They tend to get worse as they age. And my husband is quite an intelligent and creative man, so he may possibly become a calculated high ranger before it's all said and done. And that's chilling to imagine what a person could do without empathy, remorse, or any moral constructs. The things that they could do and would be things that the rest of us couldn't live with knowing that we had done something like that or acted in such ways, we would be so eaten up with guilt and remorse and it would eat away at our conscience. They don't have to worry about that. One thing's for certain, this personality disorder he has uh, will not miraculously ever allow him to become a neurotypical person, you know, an average healthy person in the future. Narcs can never change. And even though he has ruined my life, accepting that truth still breaks my heart. His goodness, kindness, and sweetness were so wonderful. But his cruelty, recklessness, denial, and sickness finally overshadowed it all. I want to get well for my children and for all those others who are fighting to survive this battle right there in the trenches beside me, when I look at their faces, their pain, their despair, I realize that I have to survive. If I let this kill me, I would be taking them with me on that road to oblivion. I would be pushing them one step closer to destruction. It's a very dark place of no return, and I have done enough harm. I'm not selfish enough to consign them to an abysmal fate because I'm too tired and too weak and too hopeless to fight. We have to climb down from this trash heap that we've been cast into by our narcissists and find a way to be of use again to both ourselves and to others. I think my message to all of you dealing with something like this, where you've been discarded and you feel like giving up hope, you can't. We must all find something to live for, something that makes us lift our eyes to the heavens and put one trembling foot in front of the other. We do it for the ones we love. We do it because we trust a higher power to give us hope and strength to continue. We can overcome all of this and survive and go on and be healed and be whole and have healthy relationships in the future. So let's not give up hope, everyone. And let's keep working to be the best version of ourselves that we can and to not be defeated by what has happened to us. So until next time, check me out at 
my website, narctroopers.com. And if you liked this episode, if there was something in it that helped you, or you know someone who could benefit from hearing, please share with that person. And um, that would be something that will help everybody get a little healthier. All right, have a great week. Bye.